Good on, welcome to episode 184 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm the bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter, at AndrewRLP. Joining me as always is the volatile League Freak. You can find on Twitter, at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going very well, Andrew. How are you today? Not too bad. I got a message, a message from you earlier, mm-hmm. and you sound like you're about to go off your fucking nut. Yeah, I was. Um, the, floor, the floor is yours. Google doesn't know what he's talking about, and he needs to shut up because he went off his head in the last 48 hours of the obstruction rule in rugby league, and he's attacking the way that the, the rule is ruled upon. He's attacking the way that it is judged by the bunker and how many times referees are going to have a look at obstruction in the play. Um, over the last 20 years, what Phil Gould believes is an obstruction has changed pretty much every single day. I've seen games where he has called obstruction on one play and then in another play, he's pissed and moaned because it wasn't an obstruction in the same game. And I don't think he knows what obstruction is in his mind. It's just something he sees and he feels. You know, it's something that he feels in his balls or something. It's ridiculous that he's attacking the referees now because the obstruction rule has never been as clear in the whole history of the game. It is now written in black and white. It can be ruled upon really, really easily by the video referee. The referees are calling it really, really well for the most part. There are slight grey areas sometimes, but the fact remains that if you don't want a try taken off you, get the fuck out of the defensive line if you're an attacking player. If you haven't got the ball, you shouldn't be standing around in the defensive line. And I'm sick and fucking tired of hearing Phil Gould saying, well, that, you know, that doesn't really count and that shouldn't matter and I feel as though that should be trying, you know, don't worry about the rules here and there. And that's not how it works. And I'm just sick of seeing it come up in the media again and again. You know, he's always got a fucking problem with something in the game. He's never got a real solution. Like, he's not coming up with a real solution here. His solution is basically that Phil Gould is going to rule on every single obstruction call that has to come down to the video referee in an NRL game. That's not going to work. We've got a rule book. It's working really well, and he's one of a handful of people that don't like it. The problem is he gets a fucking microphone in front of his face. Well, the good thing is, now people like you and me, Andrew, we've got fucking microphones too. And we can say that this rule that they've got in place now, which all 16 coaches agreed with, and which is really clear and really black and white, it's the best abstraction rule we've ever had in 120 plus years of rugby league. And I'm sick of seeing people like Phil Gould and other idiots in the media just using it as a talking point just to get clickbait bullshit out there. What do you think, Andrew? No, I fully agree with you, mate. The um, good thing... You're very quiet again. Let's say, feel good thing pushing really hard mm. to, to get rules changed quite yep. a bit recently. <clears throat> and it's... It's, it's beyond boring now. It's become yep. tedious. Like, it has. Two years ago, when the referee said, you know what, we're, we're going to clean up the ruck. We're going to get rid of this wrestle. This is what we're going to do. And over 10 weeks, they were cracking down so hard on it. There, was, you know, there were some games with lots of penalties. But we were seeing cleaner ruck. We were seeing the biggest culprits 
being penalised out of games. And they either had to adapt and start playing clean or keep losing games that they would otherwise be winning. Mm-hmm. And just, just when we're at the precipice of things being fixed and everyone happened to play good, clean footy without this wrestling crap in there, feel good, and the other dinosaurs, you know, Rothfield, Kent, all those morons, they all come out going, oh, there's too many penalties. This game is shit now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can fix the game in five minutes. Just just call me. I think that was the, the feel-good line at the time. I it's fix... funny, too, because they call him. They they go out there and they say, feel-good wants to add to the game. He's more than welcome, and he never does. No, because he wants to be paid for it. That's what it comes down to. And even when you pressed him on Twitter... When he said he didn't want to be paid for it, and going, well, if you don't want to be paid for it, you've got nothing to lose by saying it for free. Why don't you just say it? You mm. say everything else. No, not giving away my solutions. Why not? Where's your spine, Gus? Where's your spine? The thing is, like the obstruct. Do you believe that the obstruction rulings it's that fine. they have? It's fine. It's absolutely fine. <clears throat> They've taken something which has been debated and fought over for years upon years, especially in recent time, mm-hmm. and they've made it black and white, which is, let's be honest, that's bloody hard to do with a rule that can be pretty vaguely interpreted, and it has yeah. been for you know nearly a century. Mm-hmm. They've made it black and white, and they've even managed to get rid of that little bullshit thing that happened a few years back where a player would stand near uh, a decoy runner and then pull out the old you know, soccer dive. Yep. They've even got rid of that. They said, you know what? He made a defensive decision or he did make a defensive decision. So you have to make that decision. You have to try and make that tackle. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, the bunker's going to say, hmm, you know what? I think he's milking it. Play on. And I think right now, 2020, they've got the obstruction rule down pat. Yeah. I can't argue with any of the decisions they've made about it. There, there could be some where you could probably argue one way or the other. But that's not 100% certain that they've got it wrong, is it? No. There's and still it, a bit in your mind that goes, yeah, you know what, I think they might have it right, and that's still good enough for me. Exactly. And, like, this idea that, like, a, a, a non-ball runner, an attack and play that doesn't receive the ball, can interfere with the defender, right? And that defender might have got across and, and had an effect on a defensive play, and it's always to lead to a try. It's very rare that it's not for a try, try scoring play. The defender should never, ever, ever have to worry about a non-ball playing or a non-ball runner interfering with them in any way. And, and that's what the current rule does. The current rule makes sure that if if you're a, a line runner that is not going to receive the ball, you've got to go through the entire line. You can't stand around in the line. You can't loiter. You can't interfere with the defensive players at all. And that's been rugby league since day one. You know, rugby league was never intended for players without the ball to have a physical effect on defenders. You can use uh, sleight of hand and stuff to make them make decisions that are wrong, but you can't physically you know, barrel players out the way. Yeah, you can't then, impede them. No, no. And you certainly can't do that 
And then if you score in the corner, and I, when I say the corner, I'm talking like, you know, you barrel the, a second rower out the way or a, 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 a halfback who is normally pretty wide themselves and then get upset because your winger scored in the corner and the halfback might have got there. You don't know. No one knows. But that's not the defensive team's problem. That's the attacking team's problem. They so broke right. the rules. That's exactly right. No, mate, I'm with you 100% on this one. Um, I don't know. I think I think Gus, this is the crazy thing about Gus and, and a lot of his morons who pine for what they claim to be the good old days. Mm-hmm. You know, back in my day, we had contested scrums. Yeah, and you know what? They look like shit, and more often than not, they led to a penalty. So they were effectively pointless. They weren't a contest. So... That's why we don't have contested scrums anymore. Stop asking for scrums to come back where you can push in the scrum or the hooker can rake in the scrum. No. They were an abomination. They just turned to an absolute mess. And they were risky. We don't need them being contested. They're just fine as they are. Um, and then all this other stuff. about you know, referees back in might have had a better feel for the game. That's his way of saying that, I don't know, Maybe they didn't have a feel for the game. They just missed a lot of shit and no one compared, no one complained about it. Yeah. That's all like, it was. I still I, argue to this day that referees today are getting more right calls than what they did in the past. The problem they've got is that they're not allowed to adjudicate on every incorrect play, whereas the refs in the past could. And... We- when you had referees like Bill Harrigan would call like three penalties in a game, they talk talk about that being some great achievement. It's not. Well, the thing is, they would they will say that referees in the past were decisive. Okay. Well, now when referees are decisive, they attack them. Yeah, they, they say, bitch oh, and moan. That you know, yeah, exactly. And it's like you can't have it both ways. And I don't know of any sport in the world where supposed expert commentators shriek, the rules are wrong. Like, that's an actual quote. The rules are wrong. Mm. What type of fucking expert commentary is that? Neither expert, nor is it commentary. It's really not. It really is not. It's a whinge. And it's a baseless whinge. It's a pointless whinge. It's a whinge for the sake of whinging because you just stay... Mindless, boring old cunt. That's all it is. I, I'm sick of hearing ref bashing. I had some moron having a go at me the other day saying, oh, the reason why the Tigers lost to Canberra is because of the referees they were favouring race. I went, oh, oh my piss goodness. off. Piss yeah. off. But, but you're not, and it's they're... talking about how the referees are being paid by the NRL. Oh, you know, the Raiders of the NRL's team this year. Oh, fuck off. What sort yeah, of conspiracy ra- bullshit is that? Seriously, just take take that idea, roll it up, and then shove it right up your ass. And while you're doing that, delete your Twitter account. Stop fucking talking to me. Just, God, that's so irritatingly stupid. Yeah. And you know what? It's because they get, you get people that aren't hardcore rugby league fans, right? And they might sit down and watch a couple of games a week. And they might be Channel 9 games. And if they're getting this sort of shit analysis, where, like, I, I flicked on, uh, there was one Channel 9 show. You know what it was? There was a game that I flicked on late, and it was a Channel 9 game, and Phil Gould was going off about the, the referees, and I couldn't believe it. But if that's all you hear, 
if that's your only rugby league that you get for the weekend, you would think that the referees are terrible and that they have no idea because your supposed experts are telling you that the rules are wrong Mm -hmm. and they're just not. Like, they're just not. I can't stress that these these obstruction rules are fantastic. You know, they, they... they really emphasize that if a player makes a poor decision in defense, they get penalized for it. If a non-ball runner knocks a defensive player or interferes in the defensive line, they get penalized for it. It's really straightforward. And, you know, I really enjoy this rule being in place. I think it's really cleared it up fantastically. You know, how many times do you get 16 NRL coaches agreeing on a good rule change? Mm. It just it's... never happens. And, you know, there are people that will say, oh, you know, these we're getting too many tries called back because they're saying it's obstruction. You know, it's funny. The best coach teams don't get that many tries called back because of obstruction calls. It's normally the ones that are poorly coached or the teams that just don't have the, the high-end talent where they have misplays and they stuff up. It's the attack that's stuffing up and doing this. It's not the defense. No, it's never the it's never the defense. It's I don't know. I I've I've spent a while in over the last two years trying to figure out what it is that Phil Good wishes the game looked like. Mm. And I can't see how his vision of what the game should look like is an improvement on what we currently have. It just isn't. Look, a, a couple of some... months, a couple of months ago, he was saying that play should be part time. <sighs> and I He's look, it's just I, stupid. I wouldn't care about this stuff if he wasn't on one of the biggest platforms to get information out about rugby league. But the problem is, hundreds of thousands of people are taking this information in. And they think that it's correct, and it's and not. It's wrong. One of them is Peter Volandis. And that's the worry, is that the people who matter to the game listen to Phil Gould. Because he was a, you know, a successful you know, a reasonably successful coach, he's seen as some sort of doyen and intelligent person when it comes to how the game should run. And you know what? He is. He's a really good analyst for how the game should be run if it's 1992. <laughs> it's not 1992 anymore, Gus. You know what we're saying, too? They're starting to get on the uh, the referees and the 10 metres that they're having trouble with because they're now, because we've got one referee. Now they're having to watch everything, which is basically physically impossible and now they're starting to go at that again which is just the cycle the same stupid cycle you know what else is kind of funny about having one ref which they haven't brought up Mm -hmm. is play the balls on their tunnel ball yeah 100 percent. i've been noticing that too there's a lot of those those uh where they don't get their foot to the ball at all like they're not even trying and i keep on waiting for it to be called up and it's not being called up they can't they don't have the time to no, but apparently referees as touch judges, they can see all of this. And I got told that and someone mocked me when I said having referees 
as touch judges and claiming that that's just extra eyes on the field is like having a square leg umpire, you know, giving assistance for an LBW decision. Yeah. That's a good analogy. You can't. Yeah. You, you cannot look through even one player if they're in front of you. And there's a fair chance more often than not, if the play's in the middle of the field, you've got to look through five or six different players as play's moving to try and keep an eye on the ruck. As well as the referee trying to follow everything else, trying to keep them on side, stuff like that. You cannot adjudicate a game of rugby league from the sideline. No. That's why we had sideline officials and we had referees on the field. If you could adjudicate the game from the sideline, you wouldn't have an on-field referee. But you do, because you need them there. It's so bleedingly obvious that the game needs two referees. Why? Because it's so much faster, and because every club is out there trying to exploit every tiny loophole and rule they can. Mm -hmm. So you need more eyes on the ball, more eyes on the ruck, more eyes on the 10 metres. Taking, taking match officials out of the game, off the field, is not going to lead to a better experience. It's not going to lead to a better adjudicated game. And after the second week of games and the some of the things that players are getting away with started to become more noticeable mm-hmm. and more frequent, there was this brief little period that only lasted about a week where all of those people who hated two referees were in a bit of a conflict because they made most of their commentary was based on bashing referees. Mm-hmm. And the other part was lobbying for one referee. And now they're in a situation where they wanted to bash referees, but they got the refereeing system that they wanted. So by bashing them, they are making themselves a hypocrite. So they were biting their tongue and... It was quite interesting to see how long it would take before one of them would just jump into the fray and go, fuck it, I don't care if I'm a hypocrite, it's got to be said. Mm-hmm. And then they start to slowly follow on. And you think, you wanted this, you idiots. Yeah. And look, and this is the very beginning of it. You know, where a club's going to be in like 16 rounds from now when they've had time to really work out the best thing. Like, are we going to see... Remember... um out of the back end of the Super League war when they sped the play the ball up completely mm-hmm. and it was almost it was almost completely tunnable like it, it was like they had to go back and say hang on a second you got to play the ball you got to touch your foot to it do you all know that and that's when the game slowed down a bit and they they cleaned up the ruck and it's funny because what what a lot of people in the media and now claim is as a cleaned up ruck we're seeing a lot of players not getting to their feet before they put the ball down to play it. We're seeing a lot of players just tunnel balling it between their legs. Um, to me, that's not a clean play the ball. And, you know, sure, the game is quick. But, you know, like, why don't we just tap it on our foot then? Because that would make it even quicker. Like a game of touch footy, you know? Um, or not touch footy in, in the official sense, but you know the sort of touch footy you used to play at school where you yeah. get touched, you tap it on your foot, keep going, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just think that the media analysis of the game is so poor right now, and it's just really frustrating because what I'm seeing on the field and what I'm seeing being talked about in the mainstream media is there's this complete disconnect 
And the problem I have with it, it's not the people that are listening to this podcast that are doing their runs or going to work or whatever, and they're sitting down and listening to a footy podcast. It's the ones that they only take in a game or so a week, maybe even less than that. And I might put on the footy every few weeks if there's a big game on. And if they all they're hearing is that the game is poorly run, the game, the referees don't know what they're doing, the bunker is a terrible idea, and all this other crap, they don't know any better. They don't know what they don't know. They're just taking the supposed expert's word for it. And so when you see a supposed expert taking a real clear-cut rule and, you know, whinging about it and not giving a, a real good sense of how they would change it, you know, well, it just doesn't do it for me. It pisses me right off. There's, that's the thing. I can I can handle criticism of the game. And there's been a lot of articles that I've disagreed with over time, but the criticism has come with that person's own solution. Mm-hmm. I can handle that because you've seen something you think's wrong. You've you've put your balls on the line and offered a solution. That deserves respect. And I'm not going to hate on people who do that, even if I disagree with everything they say. Look, but, I, I won't even I won't even be upset if someone says, I don't like this thing. I don't like this rule. I don't like whatever it is. But I don't have the solution within me. I just know I'm not a fan of it. You know? I've got no problems with that. But we're not even seeing that. No, no. It's just whinge, whinge, whinge. And that's it. There's, mm. there's, not, there's no substance to it. No. It's just whinging for the sake of it. And that's the thing that sucks so badly because you're an analyst. I mean, it's, it's your job to analyze the game and, and tell us what's going on. And when you say something's wrong, it's kind of like you finish, you're half finishing a sentence. Mm-hmm. We're waiting for you to go, what should they be doing? And it never comes. And the reason why it never comes is because they don't want it to be fixed because then they've got nothing to whinge about. Look, I reckon we're a month and a half from one of them saying, you know what, we need two referees. Who will jump first? I reckon it'll be someone from Fox Sports. I'm going Paul Kent. Okay, okay. Uh, Yeah, Paul Kent. It'll be someone like him. It won't be uh, Rothfield. No, no, no. He doesn't watch the game, so he wouldn't know. No. But, yeah, it it's frustrating. It's so frustrating because we've got the best game in the world. We really do. And there's been a lot of rules over the years that have been very difficult to get into black and white. And we have one with the instru- obstruction rule. It is beautifully written. It is really easy to understand, really easy to interpret, and to see it attacked for no other reason than... You know, some old dinosaur just doesn't like it. And that's it. That's where the argument ends. Fuck that, man. That really pissed me off today. Yeah, no, I, I fully concur with that, my friend. I really do. Um, and when it happened so often with, with nothing of substance offered as an alternative, mm-hmm. the... Uh, the pessimist side of me just thinks there's a hidden agenda behind it. Like, why are they not offering a solution? Because they well, never do. And so yeah. there's got to be a reason for it. That's why I think it's it's done purely so they've got something to constantly whinge about. What would they do if the game was perfect? 
what would they do? Like they'd actually have to sit and watch the game, and, and they don't they don't know the game anymore, so they can't yeah. watch it and analyze it. They'd be completely irrelevant. And it's weird because you can you can sit down to watch a game of footy or listen to it on the radio and 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 be 20 minutes into it and be like man i don't think these people like the game at all like hmm. on, on T- 2gb they've got a couple of main callers and i don't even know their names i only hear 2gb when i jump in the car i haven't got bluetooth in my car so it doesn't start playing my music or podcasts and so 2gb goes on and it just, I listen to them and it's like, these people are just complaining about this game of rugby league. They should go and do something else because they sound fucking miserable. And the problem is that you start thinking to yourself, wow, this game must be really terrible or these people don't know what they're doing. And then you'll see a replay of the game and you think, wow, this game's really good. And it's, there's just the disconnect. You know, how many times can you listen to supposed experts just complaining about the game before you just don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah, it's it's got to the point where I wish all you had was main play callers mm-hmm. and the colour commentators were just there at half time and full time. Yeah. Because they're the problem. Yeah, and that's why I really rate uh Warren Warren Smith from Fox Sports. Mm-hmm. Because he, you know, and he will say, if a referee makes a mistake, he'll say, it's not like he avoids it or he rose-colored glasses, you know, poor decisions. Mm. But he just calls the game. Yeah, and he, calls, he calls out a mistake and then he moves on. Yeah, exactly. And, where there, I mean, I was listening to some fucking caller on 2GB where it was five minutes later and this is a radio call, so you've better, got to be calling the play. And the main caller is still whinging about something that happened five minutes earlier. I couldn't believe it. And that's that's the thing. These colour commentators are, are the ones who are, you know, the biggest whingers. Your Braithen Astor, your Corey Parkers, Phil Goulds, Andrew Johns. Oh, Johns know, is terrible. Johns, so on and so forth. That's Johns, all they do. I don't know what it is with Andrew Johns, right? But whenever I hear him calling a game, he just sounds like a fucking crab. Man, he just sounds miserable. He really does. He sounds miserable. And look, it might be the fact that in terms of football, he's literally a genius. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yep. It might be the fact that he can't get out of his own head when he's watching some of these things that happen. And look, that happens with the great, great players. That's why they don't make good coaches, because all they can think about is the 10 problems that they're seeing on the field that they would have, in their mind, done correctly. And they're seeing these players that aren't as good as they used to be doing these these mistakes that they see them. And it might be mistakes like when they're running a decoy you know, as a decoy runner, they're not running the right line. It can be small things. And it could be something like that. And I'm willing to say, man, if that happens, but it, when you mix that in with all the other negativity, it's just really fucking difficult to listen to. It is. It's the thing. I, I can handle it when they get frustrated with the way a player plays the game. Because more often than not, when, when a player does something wrong, they will offer like an alternative. This is what he should have done. Yeah. 
that's fine by me. That's mm-hmm. what a proper analyst does. Mm-hmm. When a referee gets a mistake wrong, it's oh he should have you know he's done he's made this mistake he's done this before this is why the rules wrong and this is this is what's been a big problem and it's been this problem for you know in this game and that game remember they did this and this is the and it just goes on and on they just snowball and next thing you know five minutes have gone and they've just been talking about the same one mistake mm-hmm. and I'd I'd like to ask these people why is it that when a player makes one mistake it's not considered game altering like in the 20th minute. But if a referee makes a mistake, automatically it's the talking point of the match. Yeah. And you know what's a mistake? A mistake is when the game's on the line and you're attacking the opposition's defensive line and they're battling to hold their line on their own try line and you run through as a decoy runner and you interfere with the defender. Yeah, you stop in the line. Yeah, and you cost your side a try. That's your mistake. That's not a refereeing mistake. Nope, it's not a rules mistake. Every single player knows the rule. They're all coached to the rule. They know the rules. Yep. This is another reason why I hate, just absolutely detest this bloody ref challenge thing. You know what? I'm liking it, and I'll tell you why. Because... The terrible decisions to challenge, like when a player just drops a ball and they get up and they're like, challenge it, challenge it. And it's clear as day immediately that they just dropped the ball. I think that it's showing how good the referees actually are. Yeah, I I just don't like the, the whole premise of the whole thing. Yeah, I get that. You know, you could end up getting... Cameron Smith on there, okay, and a lot of people are going to talk about him being a referee. Let's take that bullshit aside, okay? Yeah. You've got, you know, possibly the you know the, the modern day's greatest player. Uh, uh, yeah, and the most experienced player in the game's history. One of exactly. the greatest winners in the game's history. Isn't it funny that he might have an analytical brain on his head? Shock yeah. horror. But, you know, he, he gets to a decision where he goes, you know what, I'm going to argue this with the referee and just say, and when I say argue, I mean, you know, he does the rush challenge. He's not going to sit there and say, oh, you fucking idiot, you got that wrong. He doesn't do that. And golf on aside, this is why he's so good at, you know, getting on with referees and getting decisions go his way is because he treats the referee with respect. He approaches them calmly. Mm-hmm. They're going to listen. Yeah. You think about it yourself. If you're sitting there serving someone, and someone comes up to you with a complaint and they're abusing you and swearing at you and yelling at you. How likely are you to help them out compared to someone who comes along and they're very polite and mild-mannered and calm and they're very respectful of you? Of course you're going to help the, the latter person. You're not going to be that keen to jump in and help out the first person. You're going to want them to piss off. Yeah. Cameron Smith and- uses the same approach to referees. Now, if he starts, if, you know, if he goes and challenges a referee, every single kid thinks... Well, if Cameron Smith can sit there and get a referee to change his mind, then that tells me that referees can't be trusted and we can question all their decisions. And that's the bit I hate about it. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing is too, like you look at the way that Cameron Smith approaches a referee or speaks to a referee during a game, and it's not like he runs over and he's e-bashing them. You no. know, it's you line that up to what James Maloney used to do where he would ear bash the referees. Mm-hmm. And it was 
fucking annoying. Even for a Panthers fan when he played for the Panthers, it's like, man, I wish he'd shut up because this isn't good for us, you know. Um, it, it's not a shock that this great player who has played more games than everyone else has the extra capacity to, in the midst of an NRL game, have a discussion about what's going on to a referee. And look, I've never heard him talk, speaking to a referee and a referee go, wow, you know right, Cam- you're right, Cameron. I'm going to change this decision. I've never seen a referee change his decision. You know? No. It, no. it's He's just, for the most part, I reckon if the referees weren't there, man, he'd be probably talking to the opposition players about what's going on in the game. This is an all-time great player. It's, I don't know why people piss and moan about him. I really don't. Like, I am, I feel privileged every time I get to watch Cameron Smith play. You're watching an all-time great player out there and a player who has seen more on an NRL field than any other in the game's entire history. Man, it, and it's incredible. He's playing bloody great. I wouldn't take another hooker over him right now. No, I fully agree, mate. It's... uh. It's, I don't know. I find it find it very amusing how someone can get criticised for for being respectful to someone. Yeah, that's the weirdest thing ever. It is. It really is. And I, I've never understood the Cameron Smith hate. I really haven't. It feels detached from what I see uh, out of the game. Uh, it, it's it's really weird. I I don't know where it comes from. It, it's. I think it's probably from, you know, he he was pretty. He was he was pretty much one of the uh, first people to get involved in some of these, really nasty looking wrestling moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, he missed a grand final when he tried to um. He, he tried to treat uh, Sam Sade's head like it was at the top of a uh, stubby. Yep. Just trying to twist that thing off, um, you know. And so I think it's, a lot of it comes from that. Similar reason to why a lot of people for a long time um, hated Paul Gallon. He was into some of the grubby shit too on the field. Not so much the wrestling hole, but just you know, we will always go back to the, the Frankie and trying to rip out the stitches thing. It's just you just don't need that shit on a football field. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for the wrestling stuff. And a lot of you know that's what people get get angry about. And while, you know, the lad at the back half of Gallant's career wasn't, there wasn't actually that much grabbiness in there. You know, it's, it's something that sticks with a player. You never, you never shake that. I mean, Josh Maguire still got it. Yeah. And that's how he's going to be remembered. He was a grub on the field. No one's going to remember him for anything he did for Queensland or Australia. It's just, he was a grub on the field. And I, I guess Cameron Smith, because, He's the longest serving of the the Storm's great players from this ridiculous era. I mean, we we really haven't seen an era like this where a team's been this good for this long. Um, I, even the great St George teams. I mean, they had the they had a, like a peak and then and they won eleven straight premierships. Granted, but you know it, it wasn't like this. I mean, Cameron Smith's been playing for twenty odd years, just about and. They've been great his entire time there. It's kind of crazy. Um, and I guess he becomes a symbol of some of the stuff that the Melbourne Storm have been criticised for in the past. And I, I think that because that's attached to him, I guess that's something as well. 
Yeah, it's quite possible. It's, I don't know, and unless a lot of people are uh, attaching that whole, um, you know, salary cap cheating stuff to, to him as well, but, you know, he wasn't the bloke who was writing up the contracts for everyone. No, and I really have. I've seen people, and look, a lot of those Storm players get lagged into that, and... You know, I can understand people were upset about the salary cap cheating. It was disgusting what they did. The club, the salary cap cheating was gross, and they they did it cynically. They knew exactly what they were doing when they did that. Uh, but that wasn't the players. You know, th- that was the club. That was the club itself. Yeah. You know, you can't go around and say, well, Cameron Smith, what about when you cheated the cap? He wasn't cheating the cap. And when people come out and say, oh, yeah, but I mean... The players didn't say no to the contracts and go, why would you? Like, how is how is Cameron Smith supposed to know what's been offered to Greg Inglis and Billy Slater and Cooper Cronk and Ryan Hoffman and so on and so forth? I've heard people say they they would have known. Like they all would, sit around would have, and say, say would yeah. have isn't the same as does. <laughs> does, yeah. But like that they all sit around in the dressing rooms going, hang on a second. If I'm on this, and you're on this and hey, like Player number 27 in our squad. What are you on again? Yeah, I'm, I'm fucking doing the sums, man, and this isn't adding up. What's going on here? Like, it's just this fantasy land that people... I, I've said before, sometimes I think there's this caricature of rugby league and rugby league people that people create in their heads, and it's just not based on reality. No. Very, very far from it. Um... Hey, do you want some good news? I was going to say, we've been a bit cranky. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about some nice stuff. Cause... Yeah, what's some good stuff you got there? Okay. Callan Ponga. Callan Ponga? I, do I say his name wrong? Because I Cal- call him Callan. I'd say Kalen. Kalen Ponga. But his yeah. name is K-A-L-Y-N. Yeah, Kalen. Kalen. I don't Kal- know. Anyway. <laughs> Callan Ponga. <laughs> we just call him K-Pong. The Pongster. Pongmeister. K- I'm, I'm going with K-Pong. Okay, K-Pong. He has signed a four-year contract extension with the Newcastle Knights that will reportedly pay him more than $1 million a year. Mm-hmm. Um, he signed that on Tuesday evening. It's fantastic news for the Knights. I think it's fantastic news for him. He's one of my favorite players to watch. I, I absolutely love watching him play. I was hoping that maybe the Panthers would be able to lure him across if we'd got enough money free, but I, I, I'm also happy that he's going to be a Knight for the next four years. So that's fantastic news for the Knights club. Yeah, no, I agree. It would have been a few clubs with a bit of cash coming up at the end of this year too um, who would have been circling. So that's pretty good work by the Knights as well to lock him up before, you know, the... Uh, you know, all the rivals started to circle around and started making bids because it's probably saved them a bit of money too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And look, I think uh, he'll be 26 when this one runs out, this contract. So he'll be, I mean, that'll be coming into the very prime of his career. Well, he'll be a four-year deal short of the prime of his career, won't he? Yeah, according to Matty Johns. But uh, (laughs) it's a really good time to sign it. I think it's a good time for the... Knights to to get him on board. If I was the Knights, I would have offered him a longer deal, but I could see where he would turn something like that down. Um, 
you know, I, I think one of the reasons he probably is signed at this point is because a lot of the other avenues where he could have got big money as well, probably that, I mean, obviously the money for a lot of sporting competitions has disappeared uh, because of the pandemic. This is guaranteed money for the next four years. He knows that the NRL is good for it. It's pretty good good time to sign that contract for him. So that's great news. I tend to feel like when this contract comes up, he might be, if, if he continues to improve, and I think he's still improving, he might get close to being the first $2 million player, I reckon, we've had in the NRL. When he's 26 years old and that contract comes up, that's, that's my prediction. Big call. It is. Have we got a $1.5 million player yet? I think the highest was, I think Thurston was not 1.5, but I think he was getting up there towards it. Mm. Um, see, it, the way I'm looking at it is this. He's going to have a lot of experience by then. He's not injury prone. He's a, he's a good level-headed person. His playmaking ability is fantastic. I think he's going to end up being a 5'8 by then. And I, I just feel as though he could be the finishing piece in a... You get him in a solid team, he could be the finishing piece. And I feel like it'd be worth it for some teams. Absolutely. i tell you what, though. Mm-hmm. I think there's a chance that someone else will get to that $2 million before Ponga. Who do you reckon would do that? If Parramatta makes it to the grand final and wins this year, <laughs> yeah, Mitch Moses will be on three million a year as of next year. You can lock that shit in. Gutherson <laughs> will be on two million, possibly. <laughs> Nail it down. They'll they'll link up with whoever it is that owns Westfield, and I'll just give both of them a Westfield Plaza and just say you keep all the rent money, guys, every year. You know, that reminds me of a conversation that was started a little bit today on on uh, Twitter, and it was started by, there was a an article written by a journalist, and I'm really sorry, I can't remember who it was, but it wasn't one of the ones we normally complain about. Oh, good. And they were saying that uh, James Tedesco is the best player in the world. And in my opinion, the best player in the world is Jason Tormalolo, and then it's Roger Chulvasashek, and then... Uh, and then um, Tedesco after him. And then it might actually be Cameron Smith, you know. But I had a few people that weren't happy about me saying it was Tom Alolo. Now, I know you're a big fan of his, but and so you're probably biased to a certain extent. But what do you think? Do you reckon it's Tedesco? For me, yeah, I've got Tedesco just ahead of Tom Alolo. Okay. Because um, I think... Yeah, I think you can put Tedesco in any side, and they're they're automatically immensely improved in the back line to the to the extent where you could put him in a team that's got absolute crap halves, and he could still help them win games. See, I feel that way about uh, Tamalolo in the sense that, like, I think that you could put him in probably oh, probably twelve of the NRL teams, yeah. and they would be immensely better. Which clubs and, would turn down Tedesco if he was offered to them? I, I don't think any club would. But mm. I also, I feel like no club would turn down Tom Alolo as well. No, they probably wouldn't. But I mean, if you, if you said about 12 teams, yeah, 
you know, I, I don't know that any team would knock back, other than probably the Warriors, actually, that would knock back Tedesco. Oh, and, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I think we're at the point where Tedesco, RTS, and Tormalolo are, for me, clearly the three best players in the world, and it's yeah. quite a distance after them. 100%. And, like, I think, for me, it's RTS and, and Tedesco tend to from week to week, you could change your mind on them, in my opinion, being two and three, and I wouldn't argue with it. Um, the, the way I kind of look at it is, and, and let's look at it from the point of view of my team, the Panthers, right? If you put, say, Tedesco at the back of the Panthers, they're a fantastic team. If you put RTS at the back, they're a fantastic team. If you put Tom Alolo in that Panthers team with Kikau, like, I... I I just want to run run around the house and just get all giddy thinking about that. You know what I mean? Because that would be just that would be ridiculous. That'd be like what some some, some shit we've never seen before. Um. So so yeah, I would have Tom Malolo as still the best in the world. But I agree with you; those three are definitely in a class of their own. And, and we've talked about it before. I've I've said Tom Malolo and RTS I'm rating on all time scales now, not just against their peers. And I I want to see a couple more seasons of that out of Tedesco, even as good as he's playing, before I start doing that with him and start looking at him against the you know, the Slaters and the Lockyers and, and that sort of thing. Um so yeah, that's the way I feel about it. That's fair enough. Um I you know as I said before, I'm, I'm a bit the same about anyone who's a current player, and it's not a slight on them. I just don't think we can we can compare greats amongst mm-hmm. current players. I can only yep. compare, you know, retired players with retired players based on their legacy. I think it's the only thing you can really judge someone on. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I respect long, that too. Yeah. I mean, that's how long can someone be remembered after they've finished playing? Well, that's you know the weird one for me is Anthony Minicello. Because he was absolutely outstanding for the Roosters, New mm-hmm. South Wales, Australia. He, at the time, you would have said, oh, yeah, he's probably the best player in the world a number of times during his career. But when you're talking about the all-time great fullbacks, I don't think I've ever heard anyone toss his name up. And there's no. something in that. And it's, right. it's not a slight against him. It's not... It's but there is definitely something in that, and I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on what it is. It's called for me. That's just recency bias. Mm-hmm. But we can all be giddy and whatnot about a player when mm-hmm. they're playing and they're doing the great stuff all the time. But when they retire and you move on, you've got a chance to reflect on their careers and compare them against other retired players, and you go. Yeah, I think I still refer, you know, favoured this black a bit more. And I don't know for me, there's there's just some players when you watch them play, even in their first season, mm-hmm. there'll always be. There's not a heap of them. There'll just be one or two players that come along over every decade or so, and you look at them and you just go in your in your own mind. You just know, yeah, that's a superstar right there. Mm. And for me, it was. In 1989, I saw Brasher and Fittler both playing. Mm-hmm. Just knew they were going to make it and they were going to be stars. 
And I couldn't put my finger on why. I mean, it's fucking nine years old. Mm. In my own head, I just went, they've got it. I don't know what it is. And I very rarely have I seen it since. I remember seeing it when Benji Marshall played his first game. Mm-hmm. That kid. That kid's going to be something. I feel it when I watch Payne Haas. I, when I watch Payne Haas play, and uh, first of all, he's a giant. He's an absolute giant. His mobility is is very, very special. He's got a pretty good motor on him for someone his size as well. And he's so young. He's ridiculously young. For what he's doing when forwards usually get good towards their late 20s, you would take what he's producing now for his entire career and be happy with it and and say he was a very, very good player. Um, so when I watch Haas play, I'm like, man, it, like I, we could be watching him in like 15 years from now and being like, what an incredible career he's had and how much better he got. And to me, that's so exciting. It, like I love watching the Broncos play just to watch him play. I'll tell you what I'm surprised about with Payne Haas. Mm. And this is more than media than anything else. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised there hasn't been comparisons between him and Arthur Beetson yet. See, for me, I'm surprised that... And, and this might sound like a really weird comparison. But to me, I'm surprised people don't line him up against Lazarus. I'm, I'm not so much talking about playing style. More mm. just about how how boldly they came onto the uh, came into first grade mm. and how impressive they were from the absolute outset. Mm. Like I can't remember a prop or in, you know any Ford really that just came along and just announced himself like like Beetson did. Yeah, and Haas is close. Um, and I'm just surprised that, that no one in the media has sort of dragged it up, probably because I don't really remember anything. <laughs> you, you know what it is about Haas? I tell you, you know what it is about Haas, right? You, when I watch Haas play, I'm like, this is the next step for a, the props in the game. I feel like we're watching the future of, like, we, we know what we've had in the past and we've had some great props, and I feel like in the last... I feel like since Webke retired... We haven't had that gold standard, this is the next thing. And not so much Webke, because I guess Stephen Aceiver as well was there, but it was the end of his career. I feel like Haas is the next thing. He's the next one. And, man, I, I just love watching him play. It's so cool. I I do wonder if these rules stay in place, how they're going to impact his style. Because mm-hmm. I think... If these rules, the way they are, stay in place, he may have to lose a few kilos, and I don't know how that's going to impact his his style. Mm. Um, because you see some players, especially big props like that, and their confidence comes in their size. Yeah. And so if they lose a bit of size, they lose a bit of confidence. And that's the only concern I've got. And for me, I don't know. I think this this could be... I'm waiting to see how David Fafita goes. I think he's out injured or something at the moment. So yeah. um, I think it's suited perfectly for Fafita to really, really have a massive year. Oh, it, can you imagine him when they're on a roll? And like, and he does he remind you of Talis? 
Yeah, he's, he's sort of a combination between a Talus and um, oh, a Tormalalo to a, to a degree. Um, just in the sense that he can pull out a, just a play when nothing's on. Yeah. And just bust through the line and set something up, and all of a sudden you get some momentum off the back of it. Um, doesn't mind running a little bit wide like Talus did. Mm-hmm. So he, he runs, reminds me, runs with good force too. Yeah, like and that, he reminds me of Talis in that he can punch through the line, right? But the thing about him is that he's got that top speed to go on with it, whereas Talis would bust through the line and look, he could he could score, but he didn't have that that speed that let him get away from say a fullback or even outside backs that were chasing him. Whereas I, I feel like Fafita's got that speed, and he's also got the the balance and upper body strength too, where if they do get to him, it's not exactly a good chance of them getting him down. Like he runs like a, a center when he's, when he's made that break, but when he's punching through that line, he reminds me so much of Talis. Yeah. Maybe the speed's a bit more of a break Clyde type thing. Yeah. Clyde was pretty good when he'd make a break. Hey? Yeah. He had a good, good bit of toe. Um, and good enough where he could, he could make, a good 30 metres mm. um, before he'd need to start looking around for support, mm. which is enough to get him in front of the defenders chasing him and up to the fullback. So there's plenty of time for one of his outside backs to get around him and position themselves nicely so he could just give him a good pass. And I mean, Clyde had a great pass left to right as well. So, yeah, I think the crazy thing about Fafita is he's so young. He's just got so much more improvement to do, and he's already you know, banging on the door for test selection. So it's, it's outrageous. It's mm. that those him and, and to have him and Haas in the same side. And like, if they were 26 and we were saying, Oh yeah, they're coming into their prime of their career. You'd be happy with it. You'd be really happy with where they're at. And they're, they're like, they're just starting out. It's so cool. Oh, it really is. I like that about, um, Nathan Cleary on the weekend in that, uh, and I, th- I think I mentioned that in the last episode, where I was just so happy to see the command of the game he had, and it looks like he's gone to the next level for a halfback where um, he doesn't look like he's learning the game anymore. He looks like he has just a command of everything that's going on around him, and that's something that only the truly great halfbacks have. Now it's based on one game. Like he could come out next week, and I could be like, oh, geez. I was pumped up after last week, but I just really liked what I saw, especially with that, that uh, you know, the two weeks off that he had off the back of the pandemic break. It was just so promising. It really was. I'll tell you what, if he goes on and has a big year, um, I wonder how many other halfbacks will start getting into TikTok dancing. I'd get all of them doing it. Just, you know, off-season. That's all I would want is TikTok videos. If if Nathan Cleary wins the Dally M, mm-hmm. I want to see him get up at the table <laughs> and just start doing that TikTok dance with all those chicks with hat on sideways and everything, just dancing around before he even gets the award. And he goes up, picks up, gives a lovely, humble speech, walks back down, gives a little wave to the camera. Hi, mum. How you going? And then gets back to the table and just more dancing. That would be brilliant. I think Imagine that's the only he... way to do it. I hope you're listening, Nathan. Do yeah. that. Yeah, get it done. Yeah. 
We'd support that. Bloody oath. Um, I got asked today about whether I'd brought a beanie for brain cancer for the Mark Hughes Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beanie for brain cancer around, I believe, in the NRL. Um, and I just wanted to bring it up. You can go to markhughesfoundation.com.au. You can make a straight donation there. You can volunteer. Um, you can buy a beanie, but obviously it's going to take a while to get to you. I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to buy beanies at the NR. Well, if you're able to go to the NR this weekend, there's not many of us that can do that. But I just wanted to get it out there. Go there and donate some money. Um and yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because it was brought up to me today on Twitter. So yeah, yeah, I, I think I've got uh, two or three of the beanie thing. I bought one every year so far. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. I don't think I I haven't bought one, but I'm trying to think how many NRL games I've been to over the last couple of years, and I I, I definitely haven't been during the beanie for brain cancer round. So yeah. beanies are pretty good. Um, yeah. For those who don't know, I do a fair bit of work at a uh, massive warehouse with cold storage there, and I've now got to do a fair bit of work in the, the, the big freezer section. Man, I take those beanies every day now. Cause, uh, they, work, they work good, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. They go in there with that on. Sweeping the floor, doing hard work. <laughs> Stacking people's groceries and shit. Nice. Making That's sure what I do. the rest of Australia eats its food. Exactly, exactly. Hey, you know the other night when you were eating trail mix? Mm. Mate, I've gone through half a kilo of it since. (laughs) (laughs) I I was in the shops the other day. I was at the good people at Woolworths. That's who you work for. Um, I was in Woolworths and I uh, I saw the trail mix and I was like, oh, yeah, get some of that in here. And I tore through it. I get the... um... My new favourite is the Nutri-Grain Trail Mix. That's right. Yeah, you had that stuff. Yeah. They've got three different flavours, and yep. uh, they're all fantastic. Um, I strongly recommend, if you see it, buy one of each flavour. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You, you won't be able to pick a favourite. They're all fucking fantastic. There's a so- smoky barbecue, a sweet, and sweet chilli, mm-hmm. and original spice. And they're, they're good because most people who are fussy Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to trail mixes, this one's really good because it's just Nutri-Grain, which everyone can handle, mm-hmm. and peanuts, which it's the it's the least least obnoxious nut there is. Really, you can eat it and go, "Yeah, I'm fine with this. This is good," and just a bit of flavouring on top. Yeah, you can't argue. It's pretty good. I, yeah. you know, the one I got was the uh, Woolworths brand one. I'm sure it had a name. But it was probably called some fucking shit. But it was a Woolworths brand one, and yeah, I I smashed it. So I'm really bad like that. If someone says, "Oh, you know what? I'm eating, I'm eating ham and pineapple pizza," I I end up having one within the next twenty four hours. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, you're so impressionable. I really am. I I guess uh, because I try and impress myself on other people. I guess some of it's got to bounce back, eh? It's normally oh, food stuff too. This is true. This is true. Um, so the big the big question of the day is, have we had any emails? We have. <gasps> yes. Andrew, yeah. we have had one email from a wonderful listener, and I'm not stalling for time here. I just want to make that clear. 
Okay. Good, good, good. Is it was it spam? No, no, it was an actual it was an yeah. actual listener. Okay, here one we day, go. One day one day we'll get spam. We're gonna read it out and we're gonna discuss a tactic to, to respond to it. I've actually got some spam we could do that with. Anyway, let's read this. Beautiful. One. This one is from Ash as a listener of uh, of ours. And they say Hello hosts hello hosts of my favorite podcast. Oh, that's nice, eh? That makes you're, already, you're a winner, Ash. Exactly. Uh, I've kept my questions more appropriate this time, so you don't have to omit any of them. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, remember Ash asked us yes. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, do you think that a club based in Fiji will ever compete in the NRL? Could you ever see this being economically viable and sustainable? Probably not. Yeah, I, I I don't think it will happen in, say, the next 20 years. But I think what we could see is a, a, a more Pacific Island-focused club that was maybe based in Wellington. Like, remember the Wellington Orcas, I think they were going to call themselves? Yes, they were. Um, something along those lines. I've said that a team based in Hawaii along those lines would be awesome. Um. So I think we'll see something like that where they might play one game in Fiji, one game in Samoa, one game in, so- in Tonga and do something like that. But I don't think you could base a team on an island and it be economically viable because they just don't have the commercial base that I think you'd need. Yeah. Uh, his second question, who do you think would win a match between expat Aussies playing in the English Super League and expat Brits playing in the NRL. Aussies. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd say Aussies. Even if you, even if you give some of the expat pommies a couple of Aussies with some flimsy attachments to England ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um, not suggesting that happens at the moment. <laughs> Jason um, Hastings. Yeah, I still think those is a get-up. It's a good question, though, because the quality of the English players in Australia at the moment are probably the best we've had in quite a few generations. But I still think the Aussies a get-up. What do you think, right, about some of the Raiders' poms? Because they've had two pretty rough weekends uh, they won last week against the Tigers, but they look... I, I said it, I think it was their worst game of the season for the Raiders. Um, and there was a lot of talk about George Williams, a lot of hype around him. I thought he was really poor in their last two games. And Josh Hodgson, Hodgson I don't think he's an NRL quality hooker. Uh, Hodgson's been a bit quiet this year. I'll give him that. I, I haven't minded him so much. I thought he's played pretty well for the rest of his career here. Um, being has been a bit quiet this year. Um, I think Elliot Whitehead's the best, the best Pommy player they've got by a mile. I agree. I agree one hundred percent. And he doesn't get enough, uh, doesn't get enough attention for just the solid performances he puts in every week. No. Um, he, he gets overshadowed by some of his teammates who like the drama. Um, Hodgson, his service out of dummy half the last couple of weeks has been the worst in the NRL easily. Um, his defense has been poor. Uh, some of the options he's, he's taken in attack have been 
really poor for the Raiders. I, I don't know if it's something that Ricky Stewart will be looking at and looking to make a change with, but if it did continue going forward this season, I think it would be something that Stewart would have to, you know, see what other options he has. I don't think he's got any other options. That's the thing. Well, well that's the thing. It, like, no one jumps out. Like, I, I don't know what you do in that situation. Um, but I I wonder if in a couple of weeks' time, if he keeps playing this way, if Stewart starts looking for a youngster that maybe he can put on the bench and give some minutes and see what he can do. Uh, because it's it's hurting the Raiders. It's really hurting the Raiders at the moment. Um, Williams' kicking game hasn't been too bad so far, but I felt as though, especially in the last game, when things weren't quite going their way, he went to running the ball a lot, and that's all right. That can work with some players, and he's a, he's a good ball runner for a halfback. He's a real good ball runner. But, you know, you, you need a little bit more out of your halfback in those situations. And it's part of the reason why they didn't score that many points against the Tigers team, whose defense wasn't that good on the weekend. Um, I also, like, and there's little things in his game. Like, there was one, one play where he got tackled on the last tackle. And look, it happens sometimes with a halfback. But I think things you can get away with in Super League that you just can't do in the NRL. And look, it's, he's only played a few games and he'll no doubt improve. But Hodgson's the big issue for me with the Raiders. And I hope he does improve because they need him to because what he's dished up the last couple of weeks just has not been good enough. I think, especially for, for Williams and, um, and Hodgson, is they rely heavily on the momentum of their forward pack. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a sizable pack. Mm-hmm. It's it's meaty, and I wonder if the faster the faster play is catching up to them a little bit and sort of mm. draining the res, you know draining the tanks of those players in the in the last twenty minutes or so of games, or even in the last ten minutes of each half. Perhaps I'll have to look into some of the data there and see if I can find something there. But um, their their forwards weren't really making they haven't been making the massive inroads and being the absolute, you know, wrecking balls that they can be. And I think that that's been a bit of a problem because when they're not making those big metres forward, um, Hodgson's not the sort of player who will, you know, do a dummy half run on a regular basis to try and get the forwards moving. He'll do it every now and then um, somewhat wisely when he sees an opportunity to exploit a gap or something like that and not just take one for the team, you know, and, and do a, a quick scoot out of dummy have to try and speed the, the play up. Yeah. Um, you know, I suppose I'm, it's something that Robbie Farrow used to do a lot of, to, and sometimes to a lot of criticism. You'd see Farrow and he'd, he'd sense that the forwards weren't getting on top of the, the opposition in a set, so he'd take a quick run from dummy half. Mm-hmm. And it sort of just got the defence on the back foot a little bit. Um, Hodgins doesn't seem to do that as much, and I think maybe it's something he should probably look at doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Williams, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be too hard on him yet because he has had quite a few good games, and yeah, his kicking game has been very good. And I must admit, when he came over, I thought if if he's ever in a game where the forwards are losing the battle, he's just going to be nothing but a passer. He's just going to get the ball and pass it on. Yeah. But he's been taking the light on, and I I like the fact that when things are going tough, 
he's not afraid to run into the forward line. He's not afraid of that contact. And I, I genuinely thought he would be. Yeah. I, I like that about him too. I, I just wonder... I, I'm a little bit worried at this stage, I guess. that The last two weeks for the Raiders have really... Look, in one of the games they lost, one of them they won, and it, it wasn't a good win, but I, I just i am worried about it. And, and you know what? Another player in their team that's not playing as well as they did last year is Josh Papali. And I think that might come back to, as you said, the, the new rules and the effect that they're having on some of their big boppers because at the end of last year, he was the best prop in the game. And yeah. this year, he's been... Uh, n- not near that that sort of level, and he's been a little bit inconsistent on top of that. So that's a concern for them. Jack Whiten, though, I mean, his form has been unbelievable. Like, even on the weekend in a team that wasn't playing well, he was just a, a monster. It was unbelievable how well he played. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. And this is this is going to be the, the worst comparison ever. Mm-hmm. But there's one player that's always stood out to me in recent times, who's always just been someone who's been really, really hard to get to the ground in a tackle. Mm-hmm. Just the leg strength was insane. And it was Josh Dugan. Oh, yeah. Like Whenever you try to do a legs tackle on Dugan, he'd just get out of it. He'd bump you off. He'd keep going. He'd just keep pushing and driving. He's just that sort of player. Mm-hmm. And Whiten has that, which means you can't take him on one-on-one. And which that's part of the problem that opposition teams have with him when they're trying to defend him because most outside backs, you can put a forward on them to defend them and you can shut them down to, to you know, or at least stop them from moving. Um, you just can't with Whiten. He's got that. He can, he can drift sideways and drag defenders with him. He can push through them with his power. He does have a big step on him. Uh, God, he's just... Oh, man. He's, he's such he's a big watch. Too. He, mm. he really is, and he's such a big dude, and he's got so much upper body strength. Like, he gets one-on-one with a halfback, it's over. He's going to just destroy them. And, and like, and he's so much bigger than them. Like, he's standing over the top of them as he's running through them. It's pretty cool. I tell you what, Chance Nickel Klogstad, right? He needs to grow his hair. He's he been does. terrible since he cut his hair. He does. Ah, uh, old Samson curse. Yeah. Get the hair back. 100%. Um, I wrote on my website today, actually, about what a key round this is for a bunch of NRL clubs. Like, basically, oh, yeah. every single NRL club, there's only a couple of them where this round won't have a massive effect on them if they lose. Uh, we, we're seeing, basically, the bottom four sides playing one another, for, and we're going to see two clear wooden spoon favourites come out of it. Um, if the Roosters get beaten by the Eels, the Eels are going to jump away. If the the Raiders are probably one of the few teams where if they lose, it's not going to be too bad. But everyone else, like, they're going to either get into that top four and get a little bit of a distance between the pack and themselves, or they're back into that pack. And it is a, it's a really deep competition this year. Oh, it really is. Um, mind you, there's two absolute fucking... Dog games this week too. Yeah, got, they're re- like they're dragons, really, really bad. dragons, titans, and bulldog sharks. Yeah. Oh, they're going to be hard watching. They really. Uh, I think. What well, what game's going to be the worst to watch? I feel like. Who are the tigers playing? That'll be it. <laughs> 
who are the Tigers playing this round? Did I write about the Tigers? I'm sure I wrote about the Tigers in this round. Uh, North Queensland versus West Tigers. Oh, see, I'm going to enjoy watching that game. I'm sorry, Andrew. And you know why. Because you like watching Josh Reynolds play. <laughs> he, Big fan. He, he inspires you. He makes me want to be a better person. Oh, he inspires my haircuts. Well, once in my whole life, he has. That's that's what I was getting at. Yeah. Um. I. Oh man. Okay, here's a question for you. And he's already done it once this season. But which forward pack do you reckon Jason Tormalolo would be able to go through more than any other pack? Ooh. Because I don't think it's the Tigers this year. Titans. You know why? All he's got to do is run a Bryce Cartwright. Hang on, that's not fair. Okay. Yeah, there you go. That's not fair. Yeah, I feel like you you ruined it. (laughs) (laughs) You fucking ruined it, man. I'm talking about against teams with 17 first graders in it, okay? Not the Titans and Bryce Cartwright. Oh, bloody hell. Now we're putting parameters on the argument. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's my one parameter on this whole argument. You cannot use Bryce Cartwright. Oh. I, I, I Bull, feel like Bulldogs are... Uh, no, I don't think the Sharks pack is their problem. I, I'm not saying that's the problem, but I feel like with... How beaten that team looks at the moment. How, like, I feel like a lot of their players, they they watch Sean Johnson play and they're like, man, what the fuck am I doing busting my ass when he's throwing ball at the fucking, you yeah. know, cardboard cutouts? I don't know. I'm not... The one forward pack I look at in the entire competition and go, meh, it's South Sydney. Their forward pack is pretty shitty, hey? I, I don't know. I just don't. Just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, and they're probably. I mean, they're probably doing okay. But as far as I'm concerned, any team that's below the West Tigers on the ladder, you know, you can't be doing much. It's yeah. in your tenth. Tigers are ninth. <laughs> yeah, I guess some of their backs. I mean, they've got some pretty good backs that are. Probably oh, lifting them through, you know, the, that forward back, pack, I mean. Back seven's good. Hooker's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Um, decent, very good lock. But the back row and the front row, eh, I don't know. doesn't really do much for me. No. Having said all of this, watch Talmalolo come up against Penrith and run for 700 metres. Well, that's... A, eh. That's the thing. I think if, if Penrith can get a little bit of consistency, mm. they get a little bit of momentum, that forward pack's going to start being quite an asset because they are quite mobile. Well, I think the new rules suit them. Mm, very much so. Where last year you needed to have Grunt and the Panthers were soft. I think this year the, the mobility helps them. Losing uh, Kirk Capewell is lost, but they'll get him back towards the end of the year. Um 
but yeah, I think that the, these are all suit their pack. And so the the grunt that they didn't have last year, it's not as apparent because they can use that mobility. I've got to say, I don't think Tamo's been that bad either this year. No, he's he's been all right. He's been solid. The, but at the same time, I've seen that they've said they're not going to re-sign. Well, they haven't said, but the rumour is that they're not keen to re-sign him, especially ah, the money he's on. He's on. Tiger's been talks with him then. <laughs> Lock him in. What did you think about losing uh, Corey Thompson? Uh, he's one of those players. He's a really handy player. You're not going to get a bad game out of him very often, if at all. Mm-hmm. Handy, reliable, but same time, you know, I he doesn't come across to me as a game breaker, X factor type player, and. The Tigers are a side that really need someone like that. So if he can get a uh, you know, better job security, essentially, mm-hmm. and a good wage by going to the Titans, then by all means, mate, you chase it because the Tigers just don't offer that. They never will. It's just a bloody revolving door there. Go, go chase some bloody job security and set up your family. And I, th- I know you and me would both agree that... Uh... He's the exact thing that the Titans needed. Like, they really needed somebody oh, that you yeah. could say, you know what? Yeah, yeah, Corey Thompson, he'll he'll sort this out. He's, he's a um, very handy fullback, um, very, very good winger. Can, can finish off a good backline movement too. Um, and by having Sammy moved out onto the wing... You know, that gives them a, a tall target when they're on attack to kick to. And that makes sense because, you know, Sammy had been playing at fullback, the, you know, this year. And it just took away an attacking option for them when they got down into the other half because Sammy would be hanging around, you know, trying to be a, a link player more than trying to, you know, jump up and grab a ball and score a try in the corner or something like that. So they've now got that target back. And Don on the other wing. He's very good under the high ball. I mean, that's that helps up their back line and their attacking options out wide, which is a good thing. Can I confess and, something? Mm-hmm. I was being super sarcastic when I said that. I'm not. I know, you're not. You're, you're making a good argument. I, I generally think it's going to be a good move for him Because the, the other thing they've got to go for him, okay, is they've got Tyrone Roberts there. Mm-hmm who they've had to constantly fiddle around and put him either at 5'8 or put him at fullback. Yeah, he's not a fullback. No. And I think Ash, um, Ash Taylor plays better when he's got Tyron Roberts outside him. Roberts has got that experience. He can, he's got a decent kicking game. He's got a good running game. He can take a bit of that pressure off him. And at the moment, they don't know what to do with him. So I think by having Corey Thompson there, it just means fullback's locked down. So... There's no ambiguity over what Tyron Roberts' role is going to be now. They've got to put him in at six. See, I just think I don't rate him as an NRL fullback. And, like, I know that... No, I was pretty... as, as I said, I don't think he's an NRL fullback either, but I think he's going to be less exploited at fullback than he's yeah. on the wing. You can't be a short winger anymore. Oh, no, no, he, yeah. And he's like... It's not even though he's a short winger and he's powerful runner or he's, you know, he's built no. like a brick shit ass, like to O, you know. He's built like a halfback. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, when that 
that signing comes through, and I think he signed for three years. I was like, yep. man, the fucking Titans. It just didn't do it for me. But you you tend to think he's going to be a pretty good signing for them. Yeah, I mean, they don't actually have a genuine fullback. You know, AJ Brimson's out injured for the rest, pretty much the rest of the year. Mm. Why wouldn't you pick him? If you've got a solid a bloke, he's going to give you a solid six and a half, seven every single week. Yeah. He's not going to cost you a game. Then why not take him? When you've got a team full of blokes who are throwing games away and struggling to win, you need as many blokes you can get who are not going to throw games away for you just so you can be competitive. And once you get competitive, you can start finding those X-Factor players and start doing proper upgrades. And Titans are a long way from getting superstars. They've got to start getting these solid players, start putting in solid performances, finish 8th or 9th or 10th or 11th a few years, just get back in there and be competitive again, then start signing those big-name players. So I think it's a step in the right direction for them. Okay. Your sarcasm aside. Yeah. Look, when you say a solid six or a seven, I just thought of Clint Gutherson. See what you've improved your thoughts on Clint Gutherson. Yeah, I think he's playing his best season so far. You think he's up to six or seven now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's shocking. Yeah. He's, he looks he looks like a dude that uh, is on about... Four hundred and fifty thousand at another club, but actually on seven hundred and fifty at the Eels. <laughs> Sounds like a Tigers contract. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Is there any other news that we've missed today? I can't think of any. The only one I can think of is this talk of having crowds returning to games. Big yeah. crowds. Yeah. Well, um, I. Sorry, go on. I was, it's as soon as what next week or something. Yeah, they. I. I don't know what it is they're looking to do for next week because like it was supposed to be two weeks time on July 1st, where they said they were going to allow 10,000, a cap of 10,000 at games, um, which is pretty good. So I guess, you know, next, the round after next, I guess that's it really, isn't it? Yeah. Would you go? I think I asked you this. Would you go? No, no. Um, you know what? It feels like there's a little bit of a bump in those numbers, hey? Mm. You know the uh, COVID numbers? Yeah. I I don't like it. You know, the, the thing is, okay, all I've heard is how, and this is from both AFL and NRL, because mm-hmm. they're both going to bring crowds back at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, we'll make sure that everyone's spaced out well inside the ground. And my first thought is, that's the easy thing. Yeah. You've got seats there. You can say, right, you're in that seat, you're in that seat, and just space yourself out. That's the easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. The hard thing to do is to make sure they also spaced out when they're queuing up outside the ground ready to get in. Yeah. So that shit's not going to happen. As soon as those gates open, they're pushing each other in the back. And that, to me, is the problem. And what happens? And this is not a crazy out there hypothetical. What happens if one of these people that comes into these games has is you know is found to be carrying but not not showing any symptoms yet the coronavirus? Mm-hmm. Have they then risked not just all the people attending that game, but possibly even the players on the field? Mm-hmm. Say say the ball gets kicked in their direction, and they touch it. 
and they throw it back, then what? Well, <clears throat> you know when we saw this scare with the the bulldogs, mm-hmm. and 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 it all happened very quickly. And I thought it was a good response by the NRL. I thought it was a good response by the bulldogs. Everyone involved, absolutely was unbelievable. And it showed that when you've got people that say, "Oh, you can't do this in rugby league," sometimes you can fucking get shit done in that like six hours, you know, time span, switching games around. That's huge. Mm. But um. Makes me wonder what would happen if you rang up, say, New South Wales Health Health Department or something, and you had COVID nineteen, and you said, "Listen, I've got COVID nineteen, and I was hanging around at this footy stadium that this team plays at." Like, what the response would be? Because, like, obviously, they they, they would look to postpone a game until such time as tests come back. And we're getting tests within 24 hours now, which is good. Um, but you could really mess some stuff up if you did that. And I'm not saying people should do that. It'd be terrible if they did. But it just makes me wonder about um, this is all still pretty pre- precarious. And to have, when you think that that could happen with one person, to let 10,000 into a game, it's, it is a risk. They're calculating a risk here. Yeah, look, I think, too, the big concern for me, okay, and this this is based on a story that came out of New Zealand today. Mm-hmm. That was they've been COVID-19 free for 24 days. Yeah. And then two people tested positive today. Oh, really? I didn't hear that. So. Wow. That's the thing. You cannot be certain. And I, I don't know any other details of that story. That's just all I've seen. So if there's more to it, then sorry if I've not explain more but um that was the quick bit that i saw on the news today um the problem you've got okay is until you can test every single person every single day there is no way of knowing how many people are out there that have still got it mm-hmm. and at the moment it's impossible to do that because there's just not enough test kits out there mm-hmm. so you can only test people who think they may have it or people who might be, you know, essential workers who just want to make sure that they're not going to be infecting their co-workers or, as I do, you don't want to be spreading the disease through people's groceries. Mm-hmm. You don't know how many people that's going to impact. So that's the concern is, I mean, it's going to mean a lot of people on trains and yeah. there's no there's no officials on trains to make sure everyone keeps 1.5 metres apart. And, I mean, those things are just little virus containers until you get to a station. There's no ventilation on there. So if someone sneezes, you're just in there with their snot until you get to a station. Yeah, you're huffing that stuff. Yeah, and if you don't get off, then you're just going to be, you're going to be sucking that shit in until you do get off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, I don't like it. I, don't I like feel it. like it's at least two weeks too early, especially when the numbers, they're not climbing hugely, but they're not disappearing completely yet either. That's crazy because, you know, back in March, I remember saying back then, I have to find out, but I reckon that this is going to be all over by the end of June. Yeah. I remember saying something like that. Like I thought the whole coronavirus thing would be over by June. And to some extent, it's kind of close to that. But now that it's, we're at this point where it's not completely over. Mm-hmm. 
I'm now very, very suspicious about it being over all this year. See, I, I know I was way more pessimistic than you about it all. And I, I think I was saying like September, October from memory. And it's weird because I've been way more optimistic over the last couple of weeks. It, it's it's like, you know, and I've been going out and stuff like that, going to the shops, not no masks or anything, but, you know, also not, you know, sitting on people's shoulders or anything like that. I've chosen not to do that recently. Um, good move, good move. Yeah, well, people tend to find it uncomfortable. It's really weird. They say some would, some would be a bit surprised. Yeah, it, I know it always surprises me. It has for years. But uh, recently I'm like, man, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I trying to get this shit, you know? But we'll see. We'll find out. I've been yeah. getting – look, I've been getting stuff sent to me through the entire um, pandemic from China. So, you know, I've been, I guess I've been t- taking that risk. You've been dabbling. I have, yeah. It's nothing nothing huge, mainly just trafficking people, you know. But uh, you can't can't be too careful. So long as you make sure you fill them with um, disinfectant before you bring them over, oh, should be yeah. fine. Yeah. Use that, uh, what's that powder, that de- de-lousing powder? All stuff uh, like that. Yeah, you put it in there. Yeah. Is that asbestos? I wonder what that shit is made out of, eh? It's <laughs> a good question. Anyway, this has been a good episode. I've enjoyed it. It has. It has. It's been very good. We've been cranky. Mm-hmm. And then we Optim- weren't. Yeah, optimistic. Yeah. Happy. Happy. Um, what other emotions did we show? A little bit of snotty at the end. Yep. Yeah, yep. I, I I included some sarcasm in there. Yeah, um, I completely ran over the top of it with facts, and I hated that. If you could not bring up facts again, that would yeah. be good. I don't want to be one of these podcasts that uses facts. Yeah, we've got to stop doing that. We've been getting a bit analytical at times in our recent episodes. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, we need to get rid of that. By the way, the episode that uh, me and Katie did the, after the Parramatta game. I'm pretty sure I broke the record for the number of times I said cunt. <laughs> and I did it on purpose, too. Okay. Well, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. This will be the first time that we've had an episode where we both said it at least once. Who did you call a cunt? <laughs> well, you just have to go back and listen, won't you? Yeah, I'm going to have to listen. Yeah. It's going to be a good one. <laughs> well, uh, people, you can um, go on to your podcasting device hopefully it's an apple one give us a five-star rating give us a review and we'll read it out we'll pop it up on the uh, fergo on the freak podcast website as well um also follow us on twitter at fergo freak pod we're on instagram fergo freak pod we're on facebook we're on youtube go over there subscribe like all the videos um freaky they can send us an email they can send an email if they type into their email thing podcast at leaguefreak.com. There you go. And you can go in there. You can send us questions. You can um, send us ideas for future episodes. You can send us nudes. You can send us photos. You can send us... Uh, videos. Videos. Audio files. Yep. Um, Take all of those. Yeah. Um, um, GIFs. JPEGs. Yes. PNGs. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, not countries, but you know the picture files. No, they can send PNG. Okay. Be a big file. Yeah. How uh, would you get that? Sh- you have to put it in a zip. That one. Yeah, I'd have to. I'd, what's uh, WinZip? I'd have to use WinZip. Yeah. yeah, yeah extract yeah. that. That's right. Um, oh, that reminds me. Can you just send me the database for Rugby League Project? That'd be great. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Did you want it on an Excel? Uh, if you could send it, it like in a as an animated GIF instead, that would be good. Like right. I, I know you can sort that out. Just photo, pho- well, not Photoshop, but paint it. Just paint it. Yeah. I'll um, I'll get onto my people to to organise that for you. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. yeah, that'll be a big file. That's that file's probably bigger than PNG. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's, you know it's probably a couple of couple of meg. Yeah, a couple of terabytes. Anyways, um, yeah. Also, get on there to our patrons. We've got uh, Patreon at, uh, what is it? Patreon.com slash League Freak and mm. Patreon.com slash RL Project. Get out there and give us both a, a few bob each. Yeah. We need to do a, we need to do a crossover where it the people that go do both of them or, like, we'll, we'll work something out where we do, like, an episode just for them, a live one. Absolutely. That would be cool fun. I was thinking about that the other day. We might get them on if they want to come on. Hey, yeah, that would be pretty cool. There you go. Nice. You, you want to get on the podcast, you got to donate to both of us. Yeah, we'll get we've you already, on. We've already had one of those people on. We've had a bunch of them on, actually. I haven't been on. Oh, no, that's all right. I don't donate to my one. <laughs> I'm so confused now. Yeah, hey, by the way, we're coming up towards our 200th episode. We've still got a little bit of time, probably two or three days from now. But um, we want some suggestions of what we should do for 200. Yeah, because you came up with so many great ideas for our 100th one. I, you did nothing. So redemption for you people. 200. Let's make it big. Yeah. It's Let's like the it. bicentenary. Yeah, but should... without, without those shitty coins. <laughs> I was just... Fuck you, mate. Come on. Oh, shit. We should do something. We'll have to work something out. That's why we won't use suggestions. Email them, tweet them, whatever. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Get in touch with us. Tell us what we should do. Mm-hmm. We'll read out the option, the the ideas on a previous episode to the two hundred. Yep. We might even run a poll on Twitter, just the hell of it, just to make you feel like you're going to be um, considered. Yeah. Then we'll probably just ignore it. <laughs> we don't need to know what suggestions. That's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> no, we won't ignore it. We'll we'll definitely take. We'll definitely put it into action. Yeah, we'll do something. something different this time around. Yeah. What did we do for our one hundredth? I can't remember. No idea. Yeah. You know what? It's not like people actually want this episode to end at the moment, so let me just find out what we did for our 100th episode. <laughs> I feel like we did something, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah, I, I don't remember doing anything special. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Podcast 69. I think we just did a normal episode. Did we? Yeah. NR, we, we talked about the 2020 NRL draw, Sonny Bill Williams offer, and uh, Sam Burgess retiring. Did too. What about that? 
Someone should listen to that episode. <laughs> what, what was? Didn't we have an episode where it was around a hundred, where we did something special? Uh, we had Greeno from the Starting Block join us on episode one hundred and two. And this for our longest ever episode. Oh, you know what it was? Yeah, you know what it was, and and I think we thought that was going to be one hundred. Yeah, we had it lined up. Yeah, and then we some shit happened, and and it ended up being one one hundred two. Because the only other ones we've done that was special, I think we did one for our twenty first, which was very special. Everyone <laughs> remembers that one. And then uh, episode sixty nine was the other one. Oh yeah, that's that's a little bit lewd. Yeah, we called that the filthiest episode ever. So we could probably beat that. Uh, episode 150, we said Todd Greenberg is doing a great job. <laughs> How many episodes after that <laughs> did we put out? That, that aged well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the episode after that was called, I well, I'd saved it as idiots doing dumb things. Um, I'm trying uh, to find six, out. Oh, six, so it was six episode... episode- I was going to say, six episodes after 150, we did the Todd Greenberg stands down. Yeah, 156 episode, he stands down. That's brilliant. So, uh, to give, please give us an example of what we should do for episode 200, because you don't want more of that shit, do you? Uh, you know, we're not afraid to be uh, to be hypocrites if we need to be. Yeah. If it entertains you, then we will do it. Yeah, I agree. There you go. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And uh, do everything I told you to do. That's good. There'll be a test at the end. We'll catch you later.